All right, we're back with Dr. Gordon Ressler, president of Robots in Space, and we're going to talk about the Space Superhighway, which is an idea that he's been promoting for a couple of years now, probably longer if you go back to the space logistics ideas. Now, Gordon, thanks for being here. I'm always glad to be with you, Jason. Thanks. Well, let's talk about what the Space Superhighway is as far as concept goes from your perspective. So um, think, of, think about the large logistics systems on the earth, you know, shipping lines and railroads and trucks and, and those sorts of things. Um, they have a lot of features that, are, that, that make them successful. One of them is flexibility. Anything you can throw in a cargo container, you can move anywhere around the world, right? Um, now think about something like uh, Starship, which SpaceX is working on and, and promises some, you know, great reductions in, in cost to get things into space. It's a really large cargo area, but to make maximum use of it, maybe you'd like to take the stuff that's inside of it and move it to other orbits. Uh, you know, not, not 100 tons in one orbit, but 100 tons that some of which goes here and some of which goes there. Just, just like, you know, a large ship or something like that. That stuff's all not destined for one port. So, and where do we want to take things? Well, we want to take things from low Earth orbit to geo, for example, because that geo is a very high dollar value orbit. Uh, we want to take things out to the moon where we're talking about creating habitats. Uh, and maybe we want to bring things back from the moon if resources are harvested there and we want to use them in orbit, uh, not just on a lunar surface. So the space superhighway, which is a, a term, I think first time I'm aware of my using it was three years ago in an Aviation Week article, but um, and it was that article was called "Unlocking Value in Space," unlocking value in Earth orbit, and that's what logistics systems do. Um, I mean, if you think about FedEx or UPS or something like that, they allow small businesses to have much larger clientele, right? They mm -hmm. unlock value. So this is what we want to do with the space superhighway, and Obviously, it's not a physical road. It's a bunch of uh, you know paths in space determined by physics and propulsion systems. But basically, something that reaches right now from low Earth orbit to geostationary orbit to uh, lunar orbit to move things back and forth efficiently and more responsibly. Okay. So we want to eventually be able to move things, commodities, satellites who knows what right uh from one orbit to another and in order to do that we have to have some infrastructure right uh you know we've got to to move particles we need some pieces of the puzzle to move around in that you've identified a couple of elements that are important to the logistics systems reliability and uh, a reusability excuse me and and modularity let's talk about them for a couple minutes so reusability, obviously SpaceX has proved that reusing first stages is, is an economic win, right? Mm -hmm. The Starship, they're looking at um, reusing second stages as well. Um, the, the upper stage is, is something that re-enters the Earth and you can, you can turn it around and use it again. Uh, Rocket Lab has recently uh, you know, captured a first stage and plans to reuse it. So, so the, the idea is catching on. If you have a reusable infrastructure in space so space tugs mm -hmm. that is, is the commonly used used phrase um 
you further reduce the energy demands on the launch vehicle. And yeah. you reuse a lot of stuff that today we throw away. Most second mm -hmm. stages are, are, if they're not left in orbit, which is a crime, um, you, you burn them up in, in the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, and they're expensive. And I mean, you know, there's, there's great stuff on them. Whereas if you have a, a space tug, you're, you're doing the same mission that a space tug is doing, but you're doing it over and over again. To do that, you need lots of gas. You need lots of propellant, right? So the, right. So as the space superhighway, the space logistics infrastructure is going to need fuel depots at various places. And there are studies going on in terms of what propellants and what are the best places to put those depots and that sort of thing. But probably, you know, for any given route, let's say Leo to Geo, you're going to need a depot in both places. Mm -hmm. You need a depot in Leo and one, one in Geo as well. Um, one out in, in cislunar orbit, where, wherever that, you know, the customers are. Mm -hmm. uh, because you need the second one to bring the tug back so you can, you can use it again. Right. Um, and the lower the cost to orbit gets, the more practical this becomes. Um, so, you, so now we've got tugs, we've got depots, and I'll mention a third useful component of the space superhighway, which is hosting platforms. And you, you, there's a lot of different names for these robotic space stations. Mm -hmm. um, so these are a place where you can take a box of stuff, uh, you know, sensors, communication systems, or whatever, and plug it in, hmm. get power and communications, uh, station keeping, attitude control, and all that sort of thing. So that box didn't have to be part of a completely integrated satellite. It's, it's mm. something that you can, it's very useful for testing things cheaply and quickly. It's use, useful for doing new science missions much, much more affordably. Uh, at one time, at JPL, just, just at JPL, there were 70 payloads being developed for Earth observation. And there was not enough money in the budget to fly all of those mm -hmm. if you have to integrate them, each one into a mm -hmm. satellite. And that's just unaffordable. But if you can take a payload by itself and plug it in and get the same services that a satellite bus would provide. So this yeah. is this is one of the other uses of the space superhighway is just taking payloads that either need to be tested or can operate on their own or or can be plugged into an existing satellite to upgrade its capabilities. Uh, so, so we have, you know, reusability here, and we have uh, reduction of debris. Because mm -hmm. the more yeah. modular your payloads are, the less stuff you leave around mm -hmm. because it's a it's a unique design and, and that sort of thing. Um, okay, so that was the reusability part. What was the other part of your question? Modularity. Um, well, the, the we essence that. of that, right, is a is a design philosophy, I guess. Right. Um, that in, in a couple of years, the Northrop Grumman's mission robotic vehicle will be launched and it has the capability to do some limited repairs. For example, mm -hmm. if a solar panel or uh, an antenna doesn't deploy properly from a satellite, those robot arms could apply forces that could, could correct that anomaly. But there are lots of other repairs that, that, aren't, that it can't do because satellites aren't designed to be repaired. And a, a shining example of that is GOES-17, whose uh, primary instrument is malfunctioning. It's not providing the data uh, that, uh, that it would like to, or that the, the world meteorological community, meteorological community would like it to be able to, to, to develop. So NOAA is interested in 
are there ways that I can build satellites that that I can recover from these these kind of anomalies? Mm -hmm. right? They're they're rare, but when they happen, they're they're have a drastic effect on our understanding of the weather. Mm -hmm. So adding modularity, things that can be plugged in and removed and replaced and that sort of thing is is uh, of interest to to a lot of people. The Defense Department as well. Uh, you know the, the the time it takes to fly to design, build, and fly a DoD satellite. It can be a decade or more. Mm. You're worried about obsolescence, right? You're worried about failures, and so this is another place where where modularity would would uh, would come in handy. Okay, yeah, and just thinking about the CPUs used inside of satellites right now, they're really old anyway. Exactly. Just to start yeah, off yeah. with, so you, you think could, about obsolescence, you them over time, right? <laughs> right. You pop something new in. Okay, so we've got these reusability and modularity as sort of design philosophy things to be built in. We've got the idea of space tugs and fuel stations and these hubs and uh, adaptable satellites as well. And then regional hubs at LEO, GEO, and CISLUNAR. <laughs> okay, this, this sounds great. It also sounds like an awful lot of stuff, right? Um, what do you where's think? The, where's the money going to come from? Yes. Right? Where does the funding come from? And then also, how much do you need to get a critical mass of, uh, of, of activity going, I guess, where it's like, hey, this is worthwhile. Right. Um, I, think, I think one of the earliest customers is going to be the Defense Department to refuel the, some of their very high value satellites in geo. Yeah. They, they want to be able to add propellant or attach a propellant module to do a number of things. One of them is maneuvering for defensive purposes. Another is maneuvering to optimize coverage. So let's say, you know, I want more satellites over the Ukraine right now. Uh, I, it, to do that, I have to use propellant, which today limits the life of a satellite. And a third reason is, is life extension itself. You know, if you have a satellite that's still working, why throw it away? But you have to throw it away if, if it's running out of gas, right? right. Can't keep uh, itself up. Yeah, Steve, Steve Spangler, the former CEO of of uh, Intelsat, said this in a in a forum a couple of years ago. He said, "If I have a satellite that's making money, why would I want to throw mm -hmm. it away?" And so he has the two contracts with Northrop Grumman already mm -hmm. for life extension of of two of the Intelsat birds, and and uh, so the Defense Department, uh, you know, wants that same kind of capability, and they want it for for more reasons. So I think they'll be a, an initial customer. Um. You know, it's it, it sort of sounds like if you build it, they will come. Um, logistics systems are often built before the customers are there. I mean, look at the interstate highway system, right? Mm -hmm. That was originally intended primarily for military purposes. And, and now look at, you know, the, the economic impact that it's had is, is, is really cosmic. Um, the, but the, the potential customers for a space logistics network are, are very, it's a very broad spectrum of them. For example, think about companies that want to develop lunar resources, mm -hmm. right? They want to make propellant, they want to make oxygen, um, you know, metals on the moon and that sort of thing. If each one of those companies had to develop its own logistics solution, most of them would never happen. I mean, so if we build, I'll call it a national space logistics system, um, obviously intending to include a lot of, you know, friends and allies and developing nations and that sort of thing, but a national space logistics system that's 
available for anyone to use that wants to use it, right? So, so now the lunar resources companies can go, oh, I don't have to worry about that. All I have to do is, is have some sort of an ascent descent vehicle that can get stuff out to the, to the logistics network and I'm good, right? Whether that stuff is intended to refuel geosatellites or to build space solar power installations or whatever, they didn't have to solve logistics problem. Similarly, the defense department doesn't wanna have to solve its own logistics problem for the propellant that it wants. Mm -hmm. uh, NASA, who wants perhaps to build the next large astrophysics observatory, you know, the, the successor to James mm -hmm. Webb, is seriously considering doing that in a modular fashion, assembling on an orbit from multiple mm -hmm. launches. They don't want to have to develop their own logistics solution for that either. So one space logistics system that, that can service a wide variety of customers. Um, and it'll, you know, it, it's scalable, right? The first one might be just a single Leo to Geotuck and with one customer, great. And then a second customer comes along, maybe it's time to build a depot, maybe it's time to put another tug up there. Um, so, so it'll evolve over time, uh, but, but the, the potential business cases are so, so broad and so many of them. That, um, the White House, the Office of Science and Technology Policy is reviewing this right now, in-orbit servicing assembly and manufacture. And that's a, that's a, a wide suite of technologies. And they're, they've asked for public comment on how do we implement our strategy to build these things. You could say, well, there's a lot of different technologies there, so let's invest a little in this and a little in that and that sort of thing. But if, 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 if the statement was, we're gonna start with a large logistics network. That's our goal. Everybody can focus. The R&D people can focus, the business community can focus, the policy people can focus. I, I think this is a real strength of this concept is to, it is to get people to rally around one thing, which has many little parts, but it's one thing that has a tremendously positive business case, tremendously pos positive national security implications, mm -hmm. Right, tremendously positive for the growth of the space economy, for exploitation of the moon. Um, so that's you know that's the vision. And also, yeah, building the system first <laughs> before before an opponent can. Um, okay, so you can start small, um, and and I think I really like the idea of not having to have a complete satellite made specifically for this one application. Right, um, allowing people to launch more stuff sooner and cheaper, right? Um, now I'll put in a plug for you. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Building the technologies, mo most of the technologies to do this are in hand. Mm -hmm. and we, we have interfaces that are already in space being tested on the space station. Mm -hmm. We have robotic arms that we know work mm -hmm. in space. Uh, we, have, we have, you know, transport vehicles and communications. What don't we have yet is the business processes. Mm -hmm. You know, how long in advance do I have to sign up for a ride before I can I can send my module up there? Well, how does this all interface with the launch architecture? Um, what what are my contractual requirements? What do I have to do for insurance? You know, what are, what are the insurance implications of all this? So, so there's this wide variety of questions that any potential customer is going to have, and and what you really don't want is you don't want every 
possible provider of space logistics services to come up with their own answer, right? We, we should develop some business processes that are common to this logistics network, just, just like in the shipping industry, right? You know what, you can go and find out what the rules are to put stuff in a container. What's the maximum weight? Can I have flammable stuff in there? Whatever. Um, and and everybody, everybody accepts all that. And, and that's where we need to go uh, for the space logistics network, the space superhighway. Okay. Cold Star might have some expertise in that area. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we've already, as you pointed out, have some some companies and technologies in that that are uh, ready to just be put together on this stuff. We know we've got the the space tugs, right? We've got the. Uh, I was talking to Trevor Blake. We've got the the um, fuel stations, um, right? Those those ideas there. That's been around for a while. Um, satellites. The hubs are interesting. Would would uh, Tethers Unlimited be something that would be suitable? The, so that? there there is there are several companies that are working on this idea. Mm -hmm. uh, Tethers is one. Okay. Um, Arcasis is another, mm -hmm. uh, and a newly announced uh, one with uh, Steve Jersick and mm -hmm. Ben Reed heading okay. it called Quantum Space. Mm -hmm. uh, they're all looking at un uncrewed platforms where. Mm -hmm things can be brought and, and robots can, can uh, install parts and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they're going to need sensors and monitors and <laughs> measurement devices, all kinds of things. That's exciting. So what, what, what is needed here? Um, what kind of a spark do we need, I guess, to get things started? So the <laughs> 20 years ago, when I started working in, in space yeah. robotics, I, I really felt like, uh, you know, a voice in the wilderness. Mm. The, the typical answers were, the technology is too hard. There's no business case. This isn't the way we do things. And now, a strategy for implementing it is being developed at the White House, right? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> That's as square as it gets, right? Yeah. Um, so so if, I was, if I was to say to the White House, what, what do I think you should do? First of all, um, I think you should take your general strategy on in-space servicing assembly and manufacture and focus it on this logistics problem because mm -hmm. this is this is where the business case really is. And and what would I suggest that the agencies, you know, the Department of Defense, mm -hmm. NASA, NOAA, Commerce, what would I suggest that they do? I would suggest that they start they provide seed funding first for designs and, and architecture concepts and then for prototype tugs and that sort of thing but not not a government not the concept should not be a government owned network mm -hmm. it should be a commercial network because most of the customers are commercial mm -hmm. um but with government interest so government provides mm -hmm. seed funding and government says we will be a customer we mm -hmm. will use this right we mm -hmm. want it here are the things we want it for yeah. and because these are the things we want it for you the developers have, have to make sure you address those if you want our business right mm -hmm. This is what was done with the COTS program back in the, the 2000s, uh, you know, the Commercial Orbital Transportation Services program that resulted in the Falcon 9 and the Antares launch vehicles. Government spent half a billion dollars. We got two entirely new launch vehicles. I don't know how much private investment went in there, but it was way more than half a billion dollars. Mm. Right? And the government isn't as good at developing things as industry is. Right? So, so that's... These are the two, and and I, I guess okay. So seed funding, being a, a committed customer, and continuing with 
the R and D expenses, the R and D programs that are already going on in the government, uh, because a lot of those are are more advanced than what's going on in industry. The robot arms, uh, the, you know, a lot of the robotics work was done at the Naval Research Lab. Some's being done at the Air Force Research Lab, and and that kind of stuff needs needs to continue to help industry to you know just to to then port this technology the industry wants it's developed. So those are the three things that I think I think we need. There isn't much question about the business case. That's yeah, that's not not anymore. <laughs> just just a little activation energy provided by by seed funding. Let's say twenty percent of what you think the cost of a given mission is going to be. The government mm -hmm. says, and and it's competitive, right? Say. Who wants to build this tug? Who wants to build this fuel depot? Here, you know, send your proposals in. Here's what we're going to put uh, out in terms of seed funding. Hmm. It worked great for COTS. It's working great with the Commercial Lunar uh, Payload Services Program, the CLIPS program. Hmm. Uh, it's a good model. Hmm. Uh, okay. Does this program, this idea need a champion? Does it need a quarterback? Well, I think you know. I think I think that quarterback is the Office of Science and Technology Policy, okay. uh, which, which works very closely with the National Space Council. Mm -hmm. right? Sharad Parikh at, at the Space Council is you know on on board with these kind of activities, and um, <laughs> so I think you know the you know the Vice President has really started to take an interest in space. I thought mm. uh, her declaration about no use of kinetic anti-satellite weapons was was bold and and, and well informed. Uh, so, so these these are the kind of things that eventually will, you know, rise to, to her level. I think everyone that has any interest in this area should mm -hmm. should make an input to the to OSTP, you know, from their mm -hmm. uh, request for comments that they just put out. Everyone should say if 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 I had my say, this is this is the way it would be developed. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm planning on writing a couple of those myself. So. Right. Yeah. I'd love to have you back on in like six weeks <laughs> to talk about what you uh, discover and what you comment on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's, I'll link to that in the description and uh, people can go there. Cause that was going to be my final question was you say you want to be involved. What should you do? Who should you talk to? Well, right. give your input uh, on this thing. Okay. Well, I appreciate I, that. I, you yeah. know, one, one more thing yes. about champions. Um, I, I believe that, there should be a national office mm. <laughs> for this space superhighway. I, I think you know, a lot of people say, oh, one more government office. With... Because it's got to coordinate across NASA and DOD and NOAA mm. and Commerce and whoever, plus commercial industry, uh, I really think there needs to be a single focal point. Um, you know, OSTP has a lot of stuff to do, so they're going to champion mm. starting of this thing. But having, having an office that, that uh, organizes it, uh, you know, is a, is a an honest broker between potential performers. Um, it's it, 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 it I think I think it's a, it's a path to success would be to create an office like that. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for doing this, Gordon. Appreciate it. See you, Jason. Thanks. It's always a pleasure talking to you. You have great questions. You bet.